welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We are looking at the seven deadly sins. We've entitled it the seven, uh, the deadly seven. And the seven deadly sins is just a list from church history, which was compiled back in 590 AD by Pope Gregory. And uh, it addresses seven problem areas that have caused every generation hurt and pain. And the purpose of this series is simply about identifying some things in our life that will kill, steal and destroy the purposes and the promises of God for our lives. And as Pete so wonderfully um, kicked the whole series off in his introduction, he looked at the fact that God is a big yes God. The last thing we want you to leave after this series is that when it comes to being a Christian, you're not allowed to do anything. That was never God's intention in the beginning. In actual fact, if you're confused about Christianity, if you're confused about God, the best place to start is the beginning. And the beginning is Genesis. And in Genesis, we see that God put a man in the garden. The garden was called Eden. And it was in that garden, God said, knock yourself out, have a blast, do what it is you want to do. And so he was able to name the animals. He was able to play with the lions and the tigers. He was able to run up the trees, he, uh, run up the hills. He was able to climb the trees. He was even allowed to run around naked. And God was saying, yes, yes, yes. He was there giving his approval to it all. The only no was to stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was found right smack bang in the middle of the garden. God said, do not go near that tree. Good parenting does have some no's. But essentially, as parents, there should be a lot of yes. There should be a big wide parameter to be able to do lots of things. But for our protection, there needs to be some no's. And it was for humanity's protection, God said to stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The seven deadly sins are a list of areas that have quite literally led to death. Be it physical death, be it death in relationships, be it the death of your dreams, be it causing no hope, depression, suicide, mental illness. All these things today are on the rise and none of them were God's plan for you. People often say, if God is a God of love, why do bad things happen? I'll tell you why. Because we do not do what God told us to do. We do our own thing to our own detriment. It's amazing when things go bad, we blame God. And yet God was there saying, don't do this. God was there saying, please do this. And if we don't take his advice, we can't blame him when things go wrong for us. Is that fair to say? And so today, we're going to be looking at the subject of greed. Greed. Kat's going to wrap up tonight looking at wrath. But today, this morning, it's greed. So what is greed? Greed is an intense, selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. Spoke about gluttony last week. It's amazing how all these are interlinked. So that's what we're talking about this morning. 
This intense desire, this intense selfish desire for something, in particular wealth, in particular power, and in particular food. So why is greed a problem? And again, I don't mean to be insensitive because I realise certain people here have had certain upbringings and, and this is just going to be a brand new teaching to you and so you are very, very welcome. So I don't mean to be insensitive to some of the upbringings that we've had in this room. But nonetheless, I think it's pretty safe to say that the problem with greed is this, that it is never, ever, ever satisfied. Greed never has enough. In the Old Testament, one of the kings by the name of David, who was you know, one of the wealthiest men of his time, he had wealth beyond measure and uh, he had women beyond measure and he had everything that he needed and everything that he wanted. And yet one day when he was walking on the um, palace in which he owned, he looked down and saw a particular woman bathing and uh, said, I, I, I've got to have her too. It's not enough that I've got all this. I've, I've got to have her too. And that's the trouble with greed. It's never satisfied. You'd think being king with all your possessions and all the wealth and all the power, you'd think that would be enough. But no, it's never enough. Greed is never, ever, ever satisfied. And David on this greedy day looks down and says, I want that woman. And he got one of his servants to go get that woman. And he had an affair with that woman. She became pregnant. The trouble is that this woman had a husband and so um, uh, David now had to get rid of the husband and so he puts this man on the front of the fighting line there and, and he gets killed. And, and so David's rubbing his hand together think, right, I've dealt with all of that. But God was overseeing it all. And uh, God looks down and uh, sends one of his prophets, Nathan, to David. And it's amazing, David meets up with Nathan and Nathan tells him this story. And the story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 to 7. And I don't have time to read it, but it goes on to say, Nathan told David a story. He said there was this shepherd with, with, with lots of sheep. And, and, and down the road, there was this one shepherd with just one little ewe lamb that he loved and cherished and looked after. And the shepherd with all the other sheep said, I, I want that one ewe lamb as well. And so he proceeded to take the one ewe lamb off the shepherd that only had one sheep. And here's the thing, David was livid at hearing that story. He was so mad, he said, man, the, 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 the guy that did that deserves to die. Here's the thing with greed, it blinds you. David was uh, so enraged at this particular story that Nathan the prophet was telling. He didn't even recognise that he was the main character in the story. And then Nathaniel, not only a man of God, but a courageous man of God, says, uh, you are that man. Which took guts because David was a king and he could have had him executed like that. Just an aside, we need strong, courageous men and women today. Men and women can say that you're that man. And then David was cut to the heart and realised just how greedy and how lustful and how full of pride he'd become. Point, greed is never satisfied. You say, if, if only I had paid my, once I pay my mortgage off, then I'll be satisfied. You won't. 
I mean, if, if, only, if only I could become you know, the prime minister and, and, and have some rule and some power, you, you won't be satisfied. If only I could pay my car, if only I could have the dream car. If only I could sell my Ford and finally get a hold of it, then I'd be satisfied. Maybe if I just change football teams and stop barracking for Port Adelaide and start going for the Crows because they're going to have a cracker year next year, then I'll be satisfied. No, you won't. Might be a step in the right direction, but you won't be satisfied. Because greed never is. Greed is never satisfied. In their book, The Day America Told the Truth, James Patterson and Peter Kim revealed some shocking statistics about how far people in his country are willing to go for $10 million. 25% of the people said that they would abandon their entire family for $10 million. Another 25% said they would abandon their church. And as a pastor, I find that one easy to believe. Would have thought that one would be a bit higher, actually. 23% would become prostitutes for one week or more for $10 million. 16% would give up their American citizenship for $10 million. 16% would leave their spouse. 10% would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free for $10 million. 7% would kill a stranger. (laughs) Wouldn't kill my family, I'd kill a stranger. 7%. Average that out about the population of America, that's a lot of people. 3% would put their children up for adoption. Having seen some kids, I would understand that. But (laughs) Point being, greed is a massive problem. Because it never satisfies, it never fills, it never quenches your thirst. And so what can we do to deal with greed? I'm glad you asked. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 it says, Put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, whatever, be it sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Have you noticed all of these keep bad company? Greed is not right next to love. Greed is not right next to volunteering. Greed is right there next to lust and idolatry. Greed... And any of these seven deadly sins do not keep good company. In actual fact, they're really close and really tight and really friendly with each other. 
David was greedy for a woman and it was lust. Which one was it? Greed or lust? It, it was both working at the same time. They're that closely interlinked. And the Bible says, in order for us to deal with any one of these deadly seven, we have to put it to death. In other words, again, like with every other one of the sins we've looked at, it is our responsibility. We have to put greed to death. And the only way we can do that is to replace the spirit of greed with the opposing spirit, and that is the spirit of generosity. If you don't want to be a greedy person... You have to replace it with being a generous person. The spirit of greed must give place to the spirit of generosity. See, generosity is a spirit. It's not about money. It's a way of life that goes beyond our finances. It affects our thinking and our decisions and everything about our life. It is not measured by the amount given, but by the attitude. Generosity is not proven in a single act, but by our lifestyle. I'm talking today about developing a lifestyle of generosity in order to overcome the spirit of greed. Some things about generosity that may encourage you is, number one, generosity will make you inwardly inwardly wealthy. Proverb 11 verse 25 says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You've got to catch this. It says, A generous man will prosper. Not a prosperous man will be generous. It says, a generous man will prosper, not vice versa. The New King James Version says, a generous soul will be made rich. In other words, your will and your mind and your emotions, your soul will be blessed. It's basically saying, if you do good, you will feel good. If you do bad, you will feel bad. I remember on many occasions, having the privilege of giving certain things away. And I've given many different things away. Given cars away. And, and uh, I, I never forget when I've been involved in giving, the, the, the look on somebody's face. The sheer joy, the sheer gratitude, the sheer excitement of somebody receiving a gift, a gift that they could not afford at that time. That did my soul good. I felt inwardly rich at that moment. I didn't receive any money. I didn't receive anything other than the joy of feeling good on the inside. Being generous will make you inwardly wealthy. Secondly, generosity transforms the way you see things. In Proverbs 22 verse 9, it says, He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. A generous eye means that you will see life differently. That you'll have a different perspective on life. That you won't see life with all of its problems as much as you'll see life as an opportunity. When Tony Bates and myself and Kath went to Indonesia early this year and we saw the poverty, we could have been overcome with sorrow But we saw it as an opportunity, an opportunity to get involved because generosity changes the way you see things. So instead of saying you poor old thing, we thought, you know what, we could do something about this. It changed the way we saw the situation. We saw an opportunity to be able to get involved and to be able to help people. Generosity will change the way you see things. Generosity will enable you to rule in life. 
In Proverbs 22 verse 7, it says, The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. If you're always looking for a handout, you'll always be underneath. I believe essentially that's why the, the doll in this nation is not working. Because having a handout mentality is never the answer. Now I realise the government puts those things in place in order to reduce the crime rate, in order to help people that are in need. That's fine, that's good and well. But when we start relying on the government and expecting from the government, something has gone horribly wrong. If we need uh, some assistance for a season because we're out of work, you know, praise God for, the, for the, the country in which we live. But there are many countries that do not get what we get here. Been to South Africa many times and they do not get what we get here. And so to hear people say it doesn't, it doesn't amount to much, I deserve more, is ridiculous. We should be grateful that we get anything at all. And if we're complaining about the welfare system, already it's saying that our attitude is wrong. Generosity enables us to rule. Having a generous spirit puts you in a position to be a blessing, a position to rule over your circumstances. You may not be in the best mood today, but you can rule over your circumstance that you're in right now by giving someone a warm welcome. So I said already that generosity is not just about money. So you might be on the doll and you, and you may not be able to afford some of the things that you would like, but you can still be generous and rule over your situation and rule over your circumstance and not be underneath and not be under the weather. Get tired of asking people, how are you doing? Not bad under the circumstances. What do you mean under the circumstances? I thought as Christians that we were meant to be above. And a generous spirit will change from being underneath to above. And so instead of feeling under the weather, we can feel good because we're blessing people. We're giving praise and giving warm welcomes. Maybe, just maybe, because this church is growing, you know, I don't say hello to you as much as I used to when the church was smaller. But you know what it says in Hebrews chapter 13? It actually says, well, how, how, here's the thought. Why don't you welcome your leaders? Instead of saying, Tony doesn't welcome me or Pete doesn't welcome me, the Bible actually says, you should go up and give them a warm welcome. That's what the Bible says. And so we can rule over feeling left out and overlooked and neglected. And we can rule that circumstance, we can rule that moment by saying, hey, Tony, how are you doing? That was a great word today. In actual fact, you're the best preacher in the whole world. You can do that if you want. I'll even pay you to do that. So it enables you to rule and generosity will bring a healthy return. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6 says, remember this. If the Bible says, remember this, you need to remember it. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will reap generously. See, reaping and sowing is a biblical principle just like gravity. So you don't have to believe in gravity for it to be there. You don't have to believe in the Bible. You don't have to believe in the principles of the Bible. You don't have to believe in sowing. You don't have to believe. It won't change anything. You can stand on the top of a cliff and say, I don't believe in gravity and step off if you want, but it will be to your own peril. 
You can say, I don't believe in any of this uh, sowing and reaping nonsense. That's fine, but it will be to your own peril. Because generosity will bring a healthy return. It's a biblical principle. Generosity reaps generosity. And it's true for believer and unbeliever. Here's the biggest confusing thing to the unchurched. They want to know, why would I bother coming to church when Christians are doing worse than many non-Christians that I know? But here's the thing. Many non-Christians have tapped into godly principles. And they apply godly principles and are blessed as a result. And there are many Christians who have found Christ, but they're still stingy, and so they don't live in the blessing of God because they don't appropriate the principles of God. They just have their salvation. And so people say, well, why would I want to go to church? Because they're just the biggest bunch of whingers I've ever met. And we have to reverse that. Generosity reaps generosity, and that's true for believer and unbeliever. J.D. Rockefeller, he was a very wealthy man back in the day in America. On his 54th birthday, he was diagnosed with a particular illness, and he was told that he'd be dead within the year. And because he had great wealth, he decided that he couldn't take it with him, and so he gave away 60% of all that he owned to missions and charities. He funded cures for tuberculosis, diphtheria, and polio. And he died at the ripe old age of 94. Generosity brings a good, healthy return. So instead of thinking about himself and poor old me, and I'm going to die within a year, he just said, you know what, I'm going to help others. I'm going to think of others. I'm going to be a blessing to others. And he died at the age of 94. And so how can we become generous? Is this helpful this morning? Some things we can do really practically. Number one is just be generous with your words. Be generous with your words. Proverbs 10 verse 21 says, The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment. Question. Do your words feed someone? Or do you starve people for affection? Or of affection? Seriously, if your words were food for people, would they flourish or would they die? Mums and dads, think about the words you speak over your kids. Are they starving for affection? I know this to be true. Every young man, every young man wants their dad to be proud of them. That means, as a dad, you don't have to wait until they do something great. You can just let them know that you're proud of them already. See, people look at what we've been able to achieve in this church over the years, and and some people I know have gone up to dad and said, oh, you must be proud of your boys, as if to say that he was proud because of what we've done. And dad, as only dad can, will tell you in no uncertain terms that he was proud of us, Long before we ever started a church. He was proud of us long before we ever got our first A in school, which for me was a long time in coming. (laughs) But he was proud of us from the day we came into the world. And he let us know that 
in no uncertain terms. And I grew up with a healthy self-esteem, knowing that my approval was not based upon performance. I knew that dad was proud of me. And we were never starved of the affection that unfortunately so many kids are starved of. One of the greatest joys I have in being a pastor is to be able to feed people with affirmation that I know they never got growing up. It's one of the greatest privileges of the church that we can actually give people what they didn't get growing up. Let's not starve an already starved world of affection. Turn to the person right next to you and just say something nice. Go on, just say something nice. Now do that every day. Don't be like the man who got married and walked down the aisle and said to his wife, I love you on his wedding day. And if anything changes, I'll let you know. (laughs) Now tell her every day. I mean, quite literally, the first words out of my mouth as I roll over and look at my eyes, I love you. It's the first words I say every morning. I let my wife know I love her. I let my kids know I love them. And I let my kids know that I love their mum. Told BJ the other day, I said, BJ, I love you. She said, I know. That's a good answer. And then I said, and BJ, I want you to know I love your mum. She goes, I know. I know. That I know, that knowing breeds a security. Which means she doesn't have to worry whether mum and dad's going to be you know, coming home tonight. Because BJ knows that my dad loves my mum. And unfortunately, that's becoming a rarer and rarer thing in this world today. When you are generous with your words, I want you to know something. Praise is not measured. Measured praise is no praise at all. If I look at Jess Nix and say, hey, Jess, you're a great worship leader for a girl. It just, you're like, uh, what are you saying? That was great preach for a young guy. Measured praise is no praise at all. Phil Pringle said this, The very nature of praise is to ignore its faults and amplify the good points of a person's life. Genuine praise is exaggerated. That's what it's all about. There's always something positive to find in everyone. It's your job to find it. It's your homework for the week. Find the good. The Bible says hold on to the good. It's your job as a parent to Find the good in your kids. It's your job as a kid to find the good in your parents. It's your job as Christians to find the good in your friends and family. Find the good. Hold on to it. You know, this. everyone likes to look thinner. Everyone does. You can help people to feel thinner. You can, you can help people feel good. So I, I like your hair today. I like what you're wearing today. Every young boy likes to feel strong. As a young boy growing up, Dad used to play fight with us, and, 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 and you know, most times I'd win. 
I, I actually didn't know that dad was stronger than me. I just thought I was stronger than him because he let me win. He made me feel stronger than I was. You say, oh, well, hang on, won't they get a big head? We don't want to cause them to get a big head or anything. No, no, no. This is what my dad knew. Life will knock out all the big-headedness. Dealing with life, dealing with school and university and work and people, that, that'll keep you real enough. We're in an environment where people can feel good about themselves, that they're successful. A lot of people don't feel successful. We, we have an opportunity to help people feel successful. Because in this world we live in, unless you've you know, done a certain degree and have a certain job, you're not successful. We can help people feel successful. You know, you may not have the job you want, but if you've been married for 30, 40 years and you're still happily married and you're in love, you've got a successful marriage. It doesn't seem to count for much these days, but we need to highlight those things again. So be generous with your words, be generous with your finances. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. What you put first in your life determines what gets added. I want to say when it comes to your finances, if you're a Christian, if you say, yes, God, I'm so grateful for all you've done, let that be reflected in what we give to God first. Be that the first part of the day, be that the first part of our income. Be generous with your finances. If you don't pay your bills and give somebody $20, you're not being generous. You're robbing somebody. You're robbing somebody for services rendered. That's what taxes are for. You've got to pay your taxes. Don't, don't complain about the taxes. If you complain about your taxes, you've got, you've got to think about you'd have you know, no roads and be so many things that we wouldn't have. Kind of reminds me of a little Monty Python skit where John Cleese says, what have the Romans ever done for us? He says, well, they gave us the roads. Well, apart from the roads, what did the, the aqueduct, it goes on and on and on and on. Well, apart from all those things, what have the Romans ever done for us? Yeah, what have they ever done for us? Lots. What's the government ever done for us? Lots. Lots. Next, the last time I read the Bible, it says we should pray for our government, not complain about our government. Let's be generous with our finances. Let's be generous with our possessions. We're blessed to be a blessing. If you have a house, don't just keep it for yourself. Be generous. Open it up. Let people come through. If you've got a car, use it to pick people up, to bring to church. Use it to take family and friends to sporting events, etc. Don't, don't just, it's going to cost you more money on petrol. And, it, and you know, it, your car may get a little bit more used and abused. But you know what? You've been blessed. So be a blessing. I remember as a young youth leader having a van because I was a sign rider. I had this big old van. And, and we used to make going to and from events a lot of fun. And so invariably everyone wanted to be in my van, and we used to break the, you know, how many people you can get in a car record every week. And, but that, that invariably, my van got trashed and, you know, got scratched and bumped and knocked. And I'm, and I'm not saying you have to be disrespectful, but, you know, just the wear and tear of having a whole bunch of young youth in the van <laughs> causes some collateral damage. 
And I said, I'd rather that and have the moments that we had going to and fro from the vents than just have a nice, unsoiled van, but no memories. Have a nice home, but no memories. So let's be generous with what God has given us. And let's be generous with our time. Let's be generous with our time. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it says, Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. You know, this is what I know to be true about discipleship. And that is what we as Christians have been called to do, to disciple the nations. Discipleship takes time. In order to disciple people, it's going to demand your time. Going to church on a Sunday, once a week, once a fortnight, once a month, whatever it is for you, is not going to bring the disciples into existence because discipleship takes time. We're asking people who love God, people who are part of this church, to invest your time. Maybe some of you have come from a, another church experience and you're a little bit jaded, a little bit worn out, a little bit burnt out, a little bit tired. That's fine. You can sit for a season. You can get rested. You can be restored. We'll give you time to do that. But that rest time should lead to you wanting to invest again sometime into the future. And so we're saying be generous with your time. In conclusion, the band can come up. I want to encourage us to be a people that are generous and not stingy. Think for just a moment, would this world be a better place or a worse place if we were generous? If the church was more generous, if society was more generous, let me ask you this question on the reverse. Would the world be a better place or a worse place if it was more greedy? If it remained as greedy as it is today or got greedier, which it is, is the world going to get better or worse? The greed, the lust, the gluttony and all these seven sins are not making for a better world. And I think intrinsically within human beings, we know that to be true. And in our naivety, we play our ace card. If God was a God of love, why do bad things happen? And it's because greed is on the rise and that's not God's doing. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave. Lust is on the rise. The pornographic industry makes more money than the music industry and Hollywood put together. Lust is on the rise. And that's not God's doing. When Jesus caught the woman in the act of adultery and saved her life from 
eventually being stoned to death. And all of her accusers left and it was just Jesus and this woman. Think about it for a moment, ladies. If you were rescued like that, I'm sure you'd be putty in that man's hand. And Jesus never took advantage of that situation. God is the exact opposite of these deadly seven. God's seven are full of life and hope and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility and self-control. That's God. So why do bad things happen? Because we ignore Him to our own peril. I'm going to ask you to stand just for a moment. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.